0: Laura? Oh, that was good, y'all. Was it? <laughs> We're getting better and better. We're doing it. We're trying, at Please. least. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we've been reading about my sister, the serial killer. And chicas. What a whirlwind. Yeah. I'm relieved and elated that we chose this thriller as our second novel to revel in. I feel like Corday and Ayula have led us down a path of what the fuck? Yes. (laughs) And can you just please tell us why? (laughs) Last episode, we continued elaborating on our questions and possible theories. But during this Hora de Felicidad, Emma, happy hour. We (laughs) discuss how we feel about what maybe happened or what really happened. So for today, it's not about how strong our cocktail will be, but it's about how we ultimately use it. Oh, oh, I see what you did
1: there. Yeah, today's cocktail does air on the more, shall I say, basic side, but with yeah. a little surprise on your tongue, like Ayula would like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, what does she like on her tongue? God. What did you say? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly.
1: Oh, today's cocktail Oh,
0: dear. <laughs> oh boy! And <clears throat> today's cocktail
1: is called The Big Sister. <laughs> this is really the name of the cocktail. We didn't make this one up. Here to share the recipe for this basically basic drink is our official bartender in residence. Ricardo Ricardo
2: Ricardo! Ricardo.
3: Ciao ragazze, benvenute.
2: Hi. Hi How are you? Great. How are you? Good.
3: Good. Are you ready for the last cocktail for this book?
2: Yes, Yes. we are.
3: Perfect. This cocktail (laughs) is has been chosen just because the name is super appropriate. It's called the Big Sister. (laughs) So it's definitely probably not your favorite cocktail. Uh, it's definitely not Emma's favorite cocktail
2: I kind of like it But
3: yeah, it's I, I found it very uh, complex Because as soon as you drink it You have the sour and the citrus And then you can actually taste the tart And yeah. it depends on which kind of vodka did you use But you can actually taste the spirit Even if there's a lot of ingredients in this cocktail
2: yeah, it's very layered, just yeah. like Cora Day. the big sister, is very layered. Nice. There you go. Nice.
3: <laughs> so let's go deep down in the recipe. And Do for it. this cocktail, it's a regular uh, shake and strain over ice cocktail. So the all the ingredients, except for the soda that we are going to use, that it's going to be the ginger beer, every ingredient w- uh, should have been... In the in the shaker, so for this cocktail we need two ounces and a half of cranberry juice, one ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice, uh, have one ounce and a half of a vodka or a citrus vodka. I'm using absolute right now. Mm-hmm. A quarter of an ounce of simple syrup, and if you don't have in your house a citrus flavored vodka. You can just add a few drops of uh, lemon juice in the shaker. The last ingredient that is the only one that we don't have to put into the shaker is one ounce ounce of ginger beer. Fever tree is my favorite, so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. buy fever tree. Um, (laughs) Put all the ingredients in the shaker, shake it and strain it over ice. The last episode I did one big ice cube and one crack ice cube in the shaker Emma was asking me about the reason of this recommendation. The big ice cube uh, is in the shaker for chilling the Mm -hmm. cocktail. The big ice cube cracked is in the shaker to dilute the cocktail, but not that much as Uh a small ice cube would do.
2: Yeah, one of our listeners, Adrian, loved that suggestion.
3: <laughs> it's it's it. a very it's a game changer because you will you will yeah. never dilute a cocktail ever again. But uh, your cocktail, even if they are up, they're always going to be super chilled at a perfect temperature for a very long time.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's such a good tip because I love... My cocktails Need always need to be chilled. Yeah. I yeah. never want Same. to drink something warm. So Definitely. it just it makes sense without diluting the alcoholic contact. Right, right, we can't have any of that dilution.
1: <laughs> no, you can't.
0: Not for us, baby. Not at all. <laughs>
3: good thing for you, Brandy. You can sip this cocktail and you can yes, strain this you. cocktail. You can use your straw, your metastraw, mm-hmm. and you can stir it because... If you don't want to have just the first layer of ginger beer, it's okay to, to strain it to actually have all the ingredients mixed up.
0: Beautiful, fabulous.
3: Enjoy your drinks, lady. Alla salute. Gracias, Ricardo.
0: Gracias, Ricardo. Ciao. Love this. Bye. Bye. All right, ladies. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Salud. I like it. Your face says you don't. She's I not know, my favorite. I'm surprised. If I could have made this drink my way, I would have done vodka with just a bunch of ginger beer. That's a Moscow Mule. You just yeah, a Moscow basically, Mule. Oh, a lime
0: juice. <laughs> I don't know. See, she's, she's very pink. It is pink. It is a pretty color, but it's interesting. It's a pretty because color. I don't really like ginger beer, but the combination of all these juices with the ginger beer and the lemon juice, like I think it just it works for me.
1: You're feeling like, yeah. It just, there's,
0: there are those all those layers that he was talking about.
2: All right, I want to get right into this Do yeah. it. because there's a lot to cover this week. So in the final chapters of this book, we finally learn what the inciting event was for the death of Corday
1: and Ayula's father, and it's fucked up. It was not yeah. because he was drunk.
2: <laughs> he had not been drinking a bunch of big sisters. Cora's jealousy leads her to commit a crime of her very own, and she gets that fateful call from Ayula. Once again, she needs help, and this time Ayula's at Tode's house. Dun, dun dun
1: dun. Okay. I'm just going to put it out there. I can't start talking about this book without asking you both what you thought of the ending. I know I'm jumping oh. right there, but like I'm dying. No, I get pun it. Pun intended I it. to know what you both thought of how this thriller wrapped up. Well, frankly, it made me murderous. Ooh. Pun intended. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was so fucking mad. Me too, Brandy. I agree. I feel like there was so much of a build up and so many questions were left unanswered yeah which uh, i think okay ayinka is brilliant you know she's brilliant at maybe i guess leaving us with like the leaving us leaving imagery. all of this up to the reader's interpretation and i did i was
2: wanting more the whole book mm-hmm. like i did it was very suspenseful i just wish that she
0: gave us that more at the end yeah it didn't really pan out
1: So she basically
0: left us with another cliffhanger of wanting more. Like where she left us blue balled. Yeah, we're blueballed. That's That's the perfect. perfect way to say it.
2: That is exactly how I felt. I just felt like I got left hanging with like a bunch of extra like spare parts. You know what I mean? Like if I was building something and then I just ended up with
1: like 20 spare parts and I was like, wait a minute. Ikea sends you like the package and they're like, this is what it's going to look like in the end. And you're like, great. I can't wait to build it. And then you're left with all these extra pieces. And you're like, wait, this went in there?
2: right you're like where do these go though yeah and they're like oh bye like the story's done there's no more instructions
0: yeah. and you're
1: like, well i ultimately did like the book i just was i was a little disappointed with the ending yeah
0: okay ladies now let's backtrack a little to the first of these last chapters which was appropriately entitled friend <laughs> Mutar has been Corday's only friend while unconscious, and now seemingly has <laughs> so
2: <out-punches>. some
0: friend. <laughs> <Way laughs> yeah, go, seriously. Corday. <laughs> At this point, we get to eavesdrop on a pretty honest and intense conversation between them. It seems Mutar is remembering most of what Corday revealed while he was in a coma. Dead. So, Emma, mm-hmm. you were absolutely right that it would come and bite him in the ass or bite her in yep. the ass. And he poses a hypothetical question. Whether or not one would report a crime committed by a loved one. Mm -hmm. He goes to say, No, because we are hardwired to protect and remain loyal to the people we love. Besides, no one is innocent in this world. Why go up to the maternity ward? All those smiling parents and their newborns? Murderers and victims. Mm. Every one of them. The most loving parents and relatives commit murder with smiles on their faces. They force us to destroy the person we really are. A subtle kind of murder. And I thought this is so true and I love this so much. And it leads me to say that later on, further down this episode, I will reveal why I think this is a really crucial moment. And I'll give you guys my own theory about what will happen once this Ooh. story ends.
1: Oh, she's blue balling us.
2: Ah. Yet again. She <laughs> so better not blue ball us. Oh, yeah. Blue balls all the way. <laughs> <laughs> <Her> poor Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, going off that quote, because I loved it, too. The part that stuck with me was a bit about the most loving parents and relatives commit murder with smiles on their faces they force us to destroy the person we really are a subtle kind of murder mm. and it made me wonder if if this is true for you guys i find myself grappling with this all the time yeah i'm super lucky to have supportive nurturing parents but as a child and especially as like a female child i remember the constant reminder and pressure To be, like, a well-behaved little girl. Mm. That's one thing my mom does super well is she raises very well-behaved children. (laughs) And the older I get, the more I wish that she had allowed me to embrace the little, like, rebellious spitfire in me. Mm. I think sometimes parents and adults can be really well-intentioned in their treatment of kids, but they actually do a lot of long-lasting damage. Yes, And I feel like a lot of the stuff that my mom sort of instilled in me when I was a kid is work that, like... And well into my 30s now, like, I'm still trying to undo that stuff. Mm. Yeah, I remember my mom likes to tell this story. But when I was a little girl, I was like five or six years old. And I walked in on my mom and my grandma. My grandma's a devout Jehovah's Witness. Mm. I walked in on them talking about me. And they weren't even saying anything bad. I think I just didn't like the idea that they were talking about me behind my back. And so I walked into the room and I said to them, No estén hablando de mí, cabronas. Ah. Which translates to, don't be talking about me, bitches. <laughs> and I remember my mom's jaw just like dropping. Because it's my grandma's a Jehovah's Witness. Like they're super conservative. And you were five. And I was, and I was five, and I got in like <laughs> so much trouble. And obviously, I understand that parents can't let their kids, you know, walk around calling people bitches and stuff, but. That's just one example in a long line of training meant to turn me into, like, a nice little obedient girl, Mm, which I feel like we get a lot in society. And so reading this quote, that's what I thought of, the subtle little murder of the little, like, live wire in me that to this day I'm still trying to, like, revive. Yeah. And I wondered if you guys had something like that.
1: I do. um, But mine is actually, like— unrelated to the quote mine isn't necessarily a loved one or a parent doing that to me Mm. what I think about is um how I did that to myself when I was in like fourth or fifth grade I feel like I I was like the murderer of my innocent child (laughs) in a sense like I when I was really young you know I was like really spunky and I was nerdy and I was confident and um adventurous and then I don't remember if it was fourth or fifth grade but I was in school with with this group of like cool girls that had this very specific clique and I wanted so badly to be accepted by them and for them to bring me into their circle that I let them mold me into what they thought was you know cool girl and I became very self-conscious, and I lost a lot of my um, freedom, and I became like a little robot, like a little robot girl. Yeah.
2: oh. And I think
1: about it often, and Mm. like you, Brandy, like I'm still kind of like unworking that. Like I'm still trying to like undo that. That feeling of trying to impress other people, um, trying not to compare myself to other people, women especially, it's really hard.
2: Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah, I relate to that. It's
0: just, uh, I did it to myself. Oh my God, that's so interesting. (laughs) It is. And I, I, along those lines with both of you, I I can relate so much because I can seriously similarly look back at so many instances and moments where I felt that my inner light was dimmed yeah. or I just acted or reacted in a certain way that met the adults that were in front of me their standards or the superiors that were in front of me their standards mm-hmm. and again it, it's difficult because I'm not going to be like woe is me I, I I'm the victim here but Granted, I had a beautiful childhood, but I, I grew up in a Hispanic household. I was yeah. a dancer for many, many years of my life. Mm-hmm. And those two elements combined did create the person that I am. But also my light was dimmed many, many times, which I wish it wouldn't have been. And now I'm trying like Brandy and like Emma. I'm trying to reverse that mm-hmm. in my psyche. Yeah. Um, and it's it, And it's crazy because children... Are so, and we've brought this up before. They 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 observe everything that's going around us. They, and they they I at least wanted to behave in a certain way. Speak only when I thought that I was speaking something that was good enough, or right. I would shine only when I thought I was beautiful enough. Mm. Um, you were already, and, and someone taught that to me, yeah. right? Um, like I remember. My grandmother, back in the day, uh, I was going through puberty. So going back to episode one. Um, and every time I would see her, I would be so self-conscious of how she would react with basically the way that I looked. Because she would Aww. keep saying this over and over every time we would meet up. She would be like, ¿Qué te tas comiendo, qué te tas So similarly <gasps> to what Brandy in a sense that it was like something in Spanish that kind of stuck with you. And for that, that means, Emma, it, and there's no exact translation because it's kind of a play on words. It's like, look at your boobs. Look how big they are. So what are you eating to make those boobs be that big? Big, But again, it's a play on words. So it's something like my boobs were really like such a big thing for everyone. And especially coming from my grandmother where I wanted to really oh god, be this doll that this perfect yeah. doll that they wanted me to be. And because I was the oldest and the only girl in my mother's side of the family, the oldest grandchild, it seemed like I had all this pressure and also being an only child that I had to be the best that I could be. So then that dimmed my light. And then with my classical ballet training, it was like I had to be a part of an ensemb- ensemble for so long. So if I was too, if there's too much expression coming out of me, then that de- dimmed my light mm-hmm. until I got to a point where I was talented enough or worthy enough to get the lead role. But then my light was so dimmed. Then, then I had to kind of bring back all of this push to brightness, get that out. which had I had lost along the way. Right. So right. it was just like this internal struggle of like, when is it enough? When is it not yeah. enough? And how do I balance that? Mm-hmm. So right. it's and why do you have to balance that?
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I hope you guys both know I love you just the way you are. I don't love you
1: just the <laughs> way you are.
2: I'm just kidding. Bitch. Do you know one time my little sister Chardonnay, who I hope is listening to this right now, <laughs> she was still a little kid and I was home for Christmas once and I looked at her and I just was so filled with emotion that I was like, I love you, Chardonnay. Aww. And she is gorgeous, but unfeeling like Ayula. And she looked at me with this, these big green, beautiful eyes that she has. and They're so sweet. And she looked at me and she goes, I love you. Spaghetti, And she just, like, oh. turned away and, like, went uh. something else. So that's what I thought of when you just said that. I was that, totally
1: Emma. kidding, though. I, to- I, I totally adore <laughs> both of you. My light is dim You dimmed. know
0: that, though. <laughs> we know that. We know you're just fooling around with us. I just don't like to be mushy. Whatever.
2: So in this next section, Father we actually start to finally get to the root of what may have led to their father's death. And I have to say, this went in a direction I was totally unprepared for. Mm -hmm. So their dad has this business friend over to the house, someone it seems like he's trying to close some kind of a lucrative deal with. Right. This yucky man catches sight of Ayula. And in one of the more disgusting descriptive details, the author says that he licks his lips And begins to sweat when he sees her. And I literally was like, oh, so gross. Like I shivered all over. It was so disgusting. (laughs) And she's like 14. Yeah. Right. Right. The thing that gave, gave me the biggest pause in this moment is like, I don't think I fully. I don't think I was able to quite grasp what happened. He's Her father basically tries to trade her to this man for some, for some kind of deal, some kind of exchange is being made here. But I was a little confused on whether this man is interested in marrying her in exchange for the deal. Or is her dad trying to, like, pimp her
1: out in exchange for this deal? Did you guys have a thought about this? I mean, I actually just wondered the same thing. I was really confused about that. Mm-hmm. And I, again... We didn't really get an answer. Although later on, it seems that based on what Aunt Taiwo Aunt was saying is it does kind of seem like it was more of a sexual uh, pimping out situation than it did a marriage situation.
2: The only I thought the same thing. But then Corriday makes mention of like when they were younger kids. Their grandparents trying to keep them away from like the chiefs in town, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if a chief saw you and liked you, it didn't matter how many wives he already had. They just have to touch you with that cane. Right. Which to me seemed like, okay. so maybe it is a marriage situation, like Mm. one, not a consensual one, but.
0: I actually I I agree with you, Brandy, on that, because I actually thought of it as a bargaining tool that his their father wasn't necessarily aware of. Then once he noticed that,
2: yeah, this monetary
0: asset would benefit them as a family, then he was like, okay, this is the time that now I'm going to exchange my daughter, who you think is beautiful enough to be one of your wives. And we'll go from there and it will benefit you and it will benefit us. But he didn't give a fuck Mm. as to how it would benefit the daughters and it's interesting that you say that
1: about the beauty because i also noticed that the father was the only one that never verbalized how gorgeous ayula Mm -hmm. was right so as shitty of a person as he is as he was at least i mean i guess i can say at least he did hold ayula and kordi on the same playing field Um, He treated them as equals as opposed to calling out Ayula for being more gorgeous. I mean, I still hate him, and I think he's a piece of shit,
0: but... Agreed. Well, he treated them as equally nothing. Exactly. I think, yeah. (laughs) Right. The one positive thing about this asshole father, but yes. (laughs) I like your straw. And it's a paper straw. I got it last weekend, so you guys would be proud of me. I am. So I could use a straw. Thank you for being eco-friendly.
1: You're welcome. In the next chunk, chapter... In the next chapter entitled Family, I was curious. I had questions about this next chapter as well. I couldn't figure out why this subplot was in the book. So, this is when Mutar's son, Abdul, visits Mutar in the hospital room and he brings in Miriam, the woman that he wants to ask his dad for her hand in marriage. Right. right? And Mutar is really pissed, and he's like, well, you have this other woman, what happened to her? And so he denies the request for Miriam's hand in marriage. And the only part about this that really stuck with me was the imagery. day says that Miriam looked at day with empty eyes. It was as if she wasn't even excited about this prospect. Mm. It was just, that's what was decided for her. Mm-hmm. And this is what the man, the man wanted to marry her. And so she was just kind of along for the ride. So right. uh, aside from from like confirming the misogyny in the culture
2: Mm -hmm. of where they
1: are and how the men slash fathers make all the decisions and rule the future of the women's lives. Aside from that, I I don't know, I couldn't really make sense of this.
0: What did you did either of you have thoughts about this whole chunk? I actually did. (laughs) Um, I actually did think again, going back to my Moment later on about my theory about what happens. I think this was a very crucial subplot. Huh. Um, I, it led me to think that Cordé Mutar did create a very strong bond because mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. present there the whole time when all of these interactions were happening, and then and that led them to be extremely honest with one another. I felt like mm-hmm. they asked each other these really uncomfortable questions, which I actually think that it allowed for Mutur to be very vulnerable with her. Mm-hmm. He even goes on at one point to say that he questions if love truly exists. Telling her that his woman left him. It's I, I don't think a man, to the standards that we have in this culture that we're talking about, it seems that men always hold the power. Mm-hmm. But if a man right. is vulnerable enough to tell someone else who is really nothing to him. I mean, they. other than their friendship, there really isn't much between them. But for him to be as vulnerable to say, she's divorcing me, I feel right. like that obviously shows him in a very vulnerable state and that he's willing to trust her, even though he knows what she has done and what her sister has done. And he also, that leads us into thinking about he's being abandoned by his family even though he stands his ground with his son wanting to marry Miriam for social and mandatory purposes, he's standing his ground being like, I don't want this to happen. And you guys disowned me already once and I'm not gonna make you guys happy. So there's like this whole notion of him going through all this and being able to vocalize that to Koroday or at least Koroday's seeing. And then Koroday even realizing later on, that he was the one that kind of propelled her to maybe save Toaday. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I feel like all of these interactions that they have had and all the interactions that she has witnessed has led her to feel a tremendous loss later on when Mutar is no longer in the picture. As
1: mm-hmm.
0: far as they we definitely
2: know. build the most, I feel like one of the most intimate connections we see in the book in is the book. between yeah. Mutar and Koroday. Yeah, between Mutar yeah. and Koroday, Yeah, for sure. He, I feel like they're able to trust each other more than anybody else in the book because he has this information on her and he doesn't do anything with it. Right. right. And it is interesting to me. We were talking about this quote earlier. He says something about, you know, something about the fact that you don't turn in people that you love. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a curious word for him to use because essentially he's talking about Coride. He's not going to turn Coride in. Right.
0: Which I was a little bit like, hmm, interesting nugget for somebody who doesn't believe in love, right? But then he does say she asked him, "Do, do you think she still loves you?" Talking about Mutar's wife, and he in return says, "Well, does love really exist, or something to the effect that that right. love is a novelty?" But it's so a conflicting that regard,
2: thing that yes, he says totally. there. Totally, definitely mm-hmm.
0: a totally he's switching sides a little bit, yeah.
2: One thing that I that really stuck out to me in this section is I was hardcore judging the dad. I'm always hardcore judging their dad because he's a terrible person.
0: That's fair. Oh, yeah. we all are. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I was really judging him for that moment where he suddenly realizes that Ayula is beautiful to other people and that she therefore might have worth to him. Uh, because men find her attractive, but then in this chapter in family, Corde describes this beautiful, comforting moment that happens between Mohammed and Mutar. Mm. They both they both speak the same language, Hausa. Which Mariana, I'm sure you know. When you find somebody else who speaks Spanish, or when you come across somebody else who speaks Spanish, and they realize you speak Spanish, yeah. there's just like a closeness there that's just automatic from the fact that you both. Speak this language. It's and an so unspoken they... language, but spoken. <laughs> like, exactly. It's yeah. <laughs> so she sees this happen between Mutar and Mohammed, and she remarks that she's never seen Mohammed smile so freely, Aww. except with the nurses who chase after him, mm. the women who find him attractive. Mm. And suddenly, he wasn't that same dirty, smelly, lazy guy in the hallway. It's sort of as if, in this moment, she's seeing him for the first time. And I thought. Their father is obviously an extreme, disgusting example of this, but right? Don't we all judge people a little bit before we fully know their circumstances? Isn't that something that we all do?
0: Oof.
2: Ugh. And then maybe something happens where we're like, "Oh, this is actually a real
1: human being in front yeah, of yeah, wake it's up, not call. just some mm-hmm. exactly, yeah."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, when I read that statement, but actually more so when I read the chunk that we come to later on when Yanko blames Mohammed for what happens in Tode's mm-hmm. office by stating that he must clearly have done it for drugs because obviously he's a drug addict based on his right. appearance and his financial status.
0: Obviously. Right. <laughs> so fucked up.
1: I found myself feeling really saddened by that. Yeah. Like you said, we do judge people before we fully know their circumstances. And I immediately thought... I immediately thought of how this is reflected working in the restaurant industry, and Mm. this was actually a huge reason of why I left that world. Mm. It's a very vulnerable subject to talk about, and for that reason, a lot of people who work in that industry don't talk about it or don't acknowledge Mm. that it happens, but everyone knows that everyone else is doing it, and I imagine this happens in retail as well, Mm in probably any service industry where you're encountering all types of people every day and in a form of exchange, (sighs) you know, like money for goods or services. And it's yucky and it makes me feel like really uncomfortable, but I did it too. Like to every type of person, including and maybe more so young white women, like those who are Mm -hmm. in my demographic. Yeah, And something that I've been working on in my daily life is not jumping to anger or getting riled up by someone who gets to me because you never know what personal battles a person is going through or what yeah, their day has of been course. like. And just practicing kindness even when you want to rip them a new one. But it's super fucking hard. And I don't know if it's worse to judge someone before you know them, like in the case I'm talking about, or in this case, where they judge Mohammed for being a certain type of person, even though they do know him and they have worked with him for a while. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, It sounds like he's been a longtime employee. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, I think that, um, I think it's a really big problem. And I think it's just highlighted in these industries and in these worlds. And I think it's, we have a lot of work to do there. And we're finally realizing that. Yeah. But, yeah, I felt that hardcore. Brandy. Yes,
2: Emma. I wanted
1: to (laughs) call you. When I read this next chapter, the oh. wife chapter. Oh yes. Because yep. Mutar's wife says to Corday something about black magic. It's the first mention in the book yeah. about black magic. And I was like, no way. I was like, all of Brandy's theories about witchcraft and dark sorcery, are they true? <laughs> and I was yeah.
0: like,
1: I'm Yeah. I was so proud of you. Fucking not.
2: Yeah, I when that moment happened too. I was like, "Oh my god, finally!" Um, and, then,
1: and then, nothing happened with and it. And then it all went to shit. Whoa! <laughs> well. Yes, yeah, so, and remind me again why? So the mom, the mom, Mutar's wife had blamed Corde for using black magic, and that's why Mutar was not um, compliant, complicit, compliant right, to the compliant. to the reunion to the. Union of Miriam and their son. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although I will say, this was the first moment in the book that I felt like a woman actually had the power and had the ability to make the men shut up and listen to her. I felt like she was really scary. This was the first time I was like, oh, but look at this. The woman is, like, making the men shut up and listen. It's funny that you say that.
2: I read that that totally differently. To me, she seems... His wife seems so powerless mm. in this moment that she's like forced to shriek and yell and insult. She even says to Corday at one point, Corday's kicking them out. And she says to Corday, Who do you think you are? You think you'll get money from him? Has he already given you money? Mm. And then she says, Mutar, there you are acting all high and mighty. And now you're chasing a nurse. And when she said the bit about him giving Cordae money I very much had a sense that like is that why the wife sticks around because Mutar is the one with the money Oh she is
1: wearing red lace outfits and right
2: and when she says he's acting all high and mighty like to me that's somebody with status and power
0: he's calm like he's got nothing to worry about she's the one freaking out the only reason I feel like she might have a little bit more power and strength at this point is because who does she have right on her side along with her the guy that she's cheating on Mutar with. But he's not saying shit. But he's not saying shit, but he's right there. So I feel like, if you have somebody's presence, like, at some point, Coraday says this about Ayula, if if Ayula would have been next to me, I would have felt more powerful. Like, when she's against the cops. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, at this point, if we're, if we're um, basically going along those lines, she, this, this woman, his wife, has her, what her lover. Um, secret lover next to her so We're she might so have a little bit lover. more power right because mutar knows exactly I what's think going the on the only difference is ayula's a fucking murderer this
2: guy seems like a complete pushover especially in front of mutar who's like is that is it his brother is it his brother right? his I brother his, yeah his brother it's sleeping with yeah. his wife yeah. yeah which is why he's like cowering oh. in yeah. mutar's presence i guess
1: but although, I mean, imagine Corday and Ayula's mom speaking to her husband that way. Oh, I mean, never. he would beat her senseless. So right. she doesn't totally. have... And again, I mean, that's not Mutar's personality. Like, he is very different from the father in that sense. Right. But at least she feels like she can speak her mind. I don't
0: think their mom could even do that. No, definitely not. And it hits home because later on... Mutar is like, shit, she divorced me. Like, I feel like he's very lonely at that point. Oh, really? I thought he divorced her. She left him and she had said, I'll divorce you. I'll divorce you. I'll divorce you. I thought he said that, I to, thought her he said that, that to her because she's crying too. in the
2: hallway. She didn't t- say he's, she's going to divorce him.
0: She's weeping out there. But he said that she was crying because of the opportunities missed, her youth, So he gets a sense that, like, she's not crying over him. Well, he says she's She's not crying over me. Yeah. 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 So she's not sad about it. She wants to get rid of him regardless, but she still wants to keep the money. That's how I read it.
1: Yeah. I think he says to her that he wants a divorce and she's crying because she's missing the opportunities that the money would provide, not because she's sad that she's going to miss him. Right.
2: But I think Mutar is definitely the one walking away from this. I don't think Mutar gives a fuck at this point. Right.
1: I mean, when you almost die and then you
2: come out of it. And no one visited you. The only one who
0: was visiting you was this nurse who you don't even know and who didn't know you. So now we go into Broken. All of Oyinka's chapter titles, which perfectly encompass or encapsulates what we are reading about. I found this section title, Broken, fascinating because for me it was twofold. Mm. Here, not only does Broken describe what Coridae does to Ayula's engagement ring, breaking the diamond from the setting. Mm-hmm. Bold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bold as bitch. Bold boss move. <laughs> but it also describes Coraday's breaking point, possibly, mm. that we keep on talking about her breaking point. I believe we find her broken here. She trashes Today's office and blames it on Muhammad.
2: Yeah. Oh. Well, in her defense... Is she the one who says Muhammad's name or is it Yinka who brings up Muhammad?
1: Yinka brings up Muhammad, but then Corday doesn't jumps, say
0: anything. She jumps uh, right on the bandwagon. Ugh.
1: Ugh. Poor Muhammad. What yeah. was. I'm curious about the motive, about Corday's motive for breaking that ring. Because I feel like it was to protect Today. Because we actually, there's a little tiny chapter right before this. Where she dreams that Today is dead and he says, You did this. So mm. I, I interpreted this as she's concerned that if he proposes to Ayula, Ayula will kill him. So pro- mm. t- to protect him, she ruins the ring. Do mm. you have
2: thoughts about this? I mean, I don't think that breaking the ring is gonna stop Today from proposing, and I don't think Corday believes that. What, because he'll just either? get into the ring? Yeah, I think he'll just get another ring or like, you know, he'll figure it out. I think he's head over he, he thinks he's head over heels in love with Ayula. Yeah. So, I either way this is this is moving forward. I do think though that this might be more in line with what like Mariana's saying about this being her breaking point. Like I think she's just so at her wits fucking end with this whole situation mm-hmm. that she's just needs to like fuck something up. she just <laughs> needs to like and that's the symbol of everything that's
0: wrong is this ring mm-hmm. And she just can't stand it anymore. Yeah and it, and she kind of that's kind of a theme that she keeps on doing. She cleans up things that she doesn't want to remember. she throws away things that she doesn't want to remember. she breaks mm-hmm. things that she doesn't remember. it's kind of her mo. It's all of us. She likes to kind of break these things down so she can erase them from her she memory as if they never happened. Yeah. But typically
1: she'll do that, but then she'll clean up after herself. In this case, she but just this leaves time, it a mess.
0: Totally. But so at that point, I'm like, does she want to get discovered right now? Because she's just like hit her wits end. But
2: interestingly, I loved this detail that she drops the stolen diamond into the lagoon. Right. And I thought, oh, it's just like what she would do with a body. Okay, bodies of water seem to be mm-hmm. her dumping ground for like all the skeletons in her closet. Mm-hmm. She just it's like out of sight, out of mind. Right. She doesn't have to deal with it anymore.
0: Yeah. So
2: after this moment there, is, I feel like we got to give Oyinka some props. We've been hard on Oyinka in this. In, in this episode, because we hated her ending. But there's this lovely little transitional moment that happens where Koroday, in real time, gets a call from Ayula. Which, at this point, we know that when Koroday gets a call from Ayula saying, like, shit it's happened again. Bad. Yeah, shit has hit the fan. Something has gone down. And then in the very next chapter, we revert to the past, to murder number two, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly, Corday is running to Ayula's defense to clean up Peter's murder, the second
1: victim. Which also, and then, we never get any information about Peter.
2: Nope, nope that's it. Nothing. I just realized yeah. that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they just
2: sort of dispose of him, he's there, and then he's gone. Yeah, okay.
1: Peter. Sorry, whatever. go ahead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then there's this third little, or I guess second little lovely transition to theater, where we find out that actually the call Corday just got in real time is from Ayula at Today's house. Da 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 da. Yeah, and we find out that actually Today has just stabbed
0: Ayula with Femi's knife. Twist. I mean the same. Sorry, the same knife with the that same that Ayula for, stabbed yeah. Femi with.
2: Right, ah. which is their father's
1: knife. Yeah, right. Usually when I'm reading this book as I read something that I want to, like, remember, I'll stop and, like, take a note of it. But I couldn't stop and take any notes in this whole chapter because I was like, And I just had to, like, keep reading and get to the end and then go back and be like, okay, what just happened? This really threw me for a loop. I
2: could not agree with you more. And unfortunately, I think this is the chapter that was, like, the beginning of the end for me a little bit with this book because this is where things started to, like, unravel for me a little bit. <laughs> How so? I just had so many. I just thought there were so many huge holes that started to take shape here. I didn't understand. You know, Cory Day runs over to Today's house, and Ayula is in his bedroom, crouched on the floor. She's been stabbed. She's bleeding. And I was like, really? You just stabbed her. She was trying to stab you and you didn't try to call the police. Right, you or doctor. Like, You're a doctor. You didn't call an ambulance. Right. Like you know how serious this is. As soon as Corday's there, Corday's like, "Oh my god, I got to get her to the hospital right. right now. I can't pull the knife out because I know she might bleed out." Like all this stuff and is just like, "Eh, call your sister Whatevs.
0: What? Yeah, he lets her call Corday. Right. What? <laughs> I agree with all of that, but I just loved and because I'm not a fan at all of today and I think neither of you are, no. that I was, I, l- I was at the was beginning. Too. He was a McDreamy at the beginning he and was, then he, he kind was. of like sizzled for me. He was. But I really enjoyed the interaction with Coryday. In this section, when Tode makes a comment to her when they start talking about like what are they going to tell other people if it's the police or whoever comes in to save her, uh-huh. Tode makes a comment that he is really seeing Corde for the first time. Mm. He goes on to say, "You are worse than she is," which I totally agree with. She is just you do? I mean, you guys, she is more than I do agree with that. She is a murderer in her own right. She killed her father. Coryday did what? Yeah. But
2: uh, he can go. I
0: don't. I'm you not. You think is worse that. than Ayula? Ayula's killed four people at this point. Three, because we don't know she for sure if she four. helped out with the first murder. We don't know if well, she. No. It, Ayula definitely the killed the
2: first one. The first no, one, no, no, I'm the father, saying though,
0: the first one was the father. No, the first one was um. samto but that's how with the chronological order of the novel, that's what we read. But we don't know when the father came into the mix because the right, father has been gone for just, a long time.
2: But in terms of the three murders that made her a serial killer, there's Santo, Peter, and Shh. Femi. So she, she, she was going to kill today. Correct. And she killed
0: Boyega. Well, OK, so oh, this right. is what I. Boyega. Correct. But this is but this is what I see, guys, that. Cordey was the first one who taught Ayula how to murder. She's the one that came up with the whole escape slash murder, murder the father. Who knows what preempted that to happen, but it happened. She thought about it and she did it. And Ayula was a witness to that all. To but all I
1: don't it. know if I'm mad about that. Like that was self defense, Same. right?
0: I'm not. I mean, yeah, it like was like it was a, a murder. Mm-hmm. she's a murderer. She's still murdered. And yes, it might but have I don't been something self- you can say she taught Ayula
2: how to murder. Like, I don't think that it's the same to say, like, we killed our father in self-defense. Now you go and keep doing this to men you don't like. You know what but, I mean? Koroday doesn't keep doing that.
0: But she doesn't question Ayula and is an accomplice to all of, like, covering everything up that Ayula has done. But I mean, there has to be kind of a flip them. of the switch when someone continues murdering men who you don't necessarily know what the reasoning behind her murdering the men. She's questioning why Ayula has gone and killed all these men because you don't know I if mean, it was self-defense or not. And I'm not Corday saying
2: Corday's, is not a bad person or whatever, but like she hasn't killed four people.
0: No, but she's still a murderer. She still killed her dad. For sure. But to say
2: she's worse than Ayula, that's the moment where I was like a little bit like, all right, Tode. I mean, I was already over Tode, but I
0: was still like, all right, Tode, sit down. Yeah. But she still killed someone and she doesn't want to like c- cough up to killing all these three other men. They could have been innocent in their own light. We don't know. She was an accomplice to that. Yeah, but she didn't kill them. I She don't know, was an I accomplice st- to cleaning it up, but she didn't kill them. But you guys think that's fine? No. I don't think it's
2: fine, but I don't think
0: that makes her worse than Ayula. Yeah. But regardless, it's calling her out. It's seeing who Coridae is. Nobody has called her out till this point. But I had a question
2: about that, too, because at this point, Tode knew that Ayula had murdered because Coridae had told him. And at this point, also, Ayula has tried to stab him. So again, Tode, why didn't you call the cops immediately? Like, you're just as bad as Coridae now because you're asking why Coridae didn't call the police on her sister. Well. Toaday,
1: why didn't you? Like, she just tried to stab you. Well, and also, like, to go along with what we were saying earlier about judging people before we know their circumstances, Toaday says to Koroday, there is something wrong with her, but what's your excuse? But mm-hmm. He's never even asked her about her childhood, her family life. True. Like, he doesn't know what she's been through. And he doesn't know that she was madly in love with him. So he's like, I feel like he's totally judging her, and mm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm,
0: I definitely don't think that she's innocent, but right, I don't think that she deserves this. But what deserves being screamed at by a, by a guy after being an accomplice to the sister's murder, like, being I don't know. accused of being as bad as a serial killer?
1: Yeah, I don't love Day but like, I don't like Tode more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, there came a point where I was reading this early on and i thought to myself you know the title of the book is my sister the serial killer and i thought what if somehow the narrative switches and iula is narrating and so my sister actually too. becomes corday, corday and we find out that corday is the serial killer i thought about that too that would have been cool well listeners what do you think <laughs> you know how we feel <laughs> slip into our dms hey now this has sparked an a hot topic conversation and now i want everyone to weigh in don't
0: laugh at me so so love it i mean i guess what side of the fence are you on that's the next section that we're talking about like mm-hmm. what side of the fence are you on Ayula asked Corey. yeah like who are you choosing me or chodey The ultimatum is to choose between sister or tode, which, yeah, so true. You can't just sit on the fence forever. You eventually have to get up and decide. Now I'm going to pose this to both of you without thinking too quickly. I mean, with thinking too quickly, just go ahead and not think too much about this. (laughs) I want a juicy story. What's the last time you guys have been on a fence about something? about something that was a struggle to decide because of how you would end up being perceived by others or because you were taking into account somebody else's well-being, walking in their shoes. Like what when were you on the fence the last time and what was the deciding factor to go one way or the other? Anything, whatever, anything. Come on, you can do it.
1: I mean the the first thing that comes to my mind cuz it happened fairly recently. Uh and I feel so shitty talking about this cuz it's Not a bad problem to have, but I had booked a job that I committed to, and then I booked another job that conflicted with that job, and I had to decide if I was going to take this new job, which would mean I'd have to pull out of the other one that I had already committed to, and I know like this happens all the time in our industry. It's a common thing, but... I still was super conflicted because I felt terrible pulling out of this other thing. But the other job was a better, bigger job. And I just kind of like knew I had to take it. But I did. I sat on it for for a while, as long as I could. um, Mm. And then, you know, had to finally make the decision. And I was like nauseous about it. So, yeah, not very juicy, but... (laughs) Do you
2: want to say, I don't know if you want to get into this at all, but like, what was was the thing that pushed you over the fence to make the decision and go
1: with one over the other? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually what it was, (laughs) I called Brandy (laughs) Uh. (laughs) because Brandy, I feel, Martiana, you also are like, you both are just like badass, like business women like I'm really I'm getting myself to like be more confident in that world Um, but I know I had like gone to Brandy before about like another kind of issue and so I called her and I was like what do I do and she was like obviously you take this other job she was like hands down like no questions asked and I was like I don't know but like blah 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 and um, yeah actually so you were my deciding factor and I kind of like I knew in my gut that that's what I should have done and I think when you called me,
2: I could tell that you already knew what you you definitely already knew what you wanted to do. You were just struggling with the morality how to do it or how to forgive yourself for doing it or like you felt like you were culpable or something somehow for making
0: this decision. But so you were more leaning on how you would be perceived as opposed to like how mm-hmm. the person on the other side would feel. That's what I'm trying to get at. Because uh, it's like, are you really listening to what, how, or trying to dig deep and and figure out like how you're going to be perceived if you go one way or if you're really just tuning into like how the person on the other side will feel with your decision?
1: Well, I, I, honestly, I think it's a little bit of both because, you know, in this industry, you don't want to like burn any bridges between casting yeah. and totally. production. Totally. And so I was terrified that by doing this, I'm just now blacklisted from them. And based on the right. response I got, I think that's probably true. So yeah. they probably wow. will not hire me for anything again. And that really sucks.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, but I also was, like, really concerned about how that would affect them because I knew they had already picked out my wardrobe. You know, the shoot was, like, five days from the fact when I, when I called them. And I know that, like— th- People pull out of projects much uh, without without with less notice than that. So I know that that's not common, but I was especially like in covid times. It's not (sighs) that simple to just replace someone, you know, with all the testing and all the precautions that we have to take. So, yeah, I mean, I did. I felt really bad, but so it really was a balancing. It really. Yeah, it really was like 50 50. But in the end, I'm glad that I did what I did and, and I had a great time on set and It all panned out, but yeah, it was pretty nauseating. Like, I felt like a terrible human being for 24 hours.
0: I'm sorry. Nah, it's okay. Yeah, but you had really good advice and you listened to your gut. So kudos to you on that. Thanks. Listeners, she looks very
2: satisfied
1: with herself
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> she is beaming. Her light has not been dimmed. It at has all. not been. I'm giving nipple energy. <laughs> no blue balls here. <laughs> Did one
1: of you have a juicier story than mine? I feel like we just brought that to Mine
2: is shitty. I still feel shitty about mine. Oh, no. I, I, I was struggling not too long ago. I'm definitely somebody sometimes who can sort of allow people to take advantage. Like, I'm a super nice person.
0: Mm.
2: Um and sometimes I let
0: people wear that very thin. Mm-hmm. And we take I advantage think... of you all the time, Brandy, all the <laughs> Don't time. Don't I fucking know? <laughs> I, I wish not I Not at all, Brandy, come on, seriously. <laughs> I'm kidding.
2: No, I just mean in the sense of like sometimes there are people in your life who suck up a lot of your energy or who oh. bring negativity into your life, and mm. I'm somebody I'm who ends up... <laughs> yeah, I end up sometimes feeling like responsible for the well-being of those people. Sometimes yeah, it's sure. like, oh, well, I'm the only sounding board they have or like, mm. oh, well, if I leave them now and they're in a time of need, like, what does that say about yes. me? Like, I don't want to be that kind of a person. Not too long ago, I had a situation where that was going on. And I just got to a point where I said to myself, you know, you're, you're either you're choosing this person or you're choosing yourself. Mm. Because at some point, that negative energy that starts to get into your own head, that starts to become your mindset, your brain soaking that up and it's yes. affecting your spiritual presence in your own mm. life. And I just got to a point where I had to say, you know what, like, I just I, I just can't anymore for myself. Like, I just personally cannot allow this into my life anymore. Mm. And it sucked and it was messy, but I'm it sure. was just one of those things where I just felt like If I'm going to progress and I'm going to move forward, I just have to let this go. And I have to trust that that person is going to find their way without me.
1: And they will. And they will. will. And sometimes. And they'll probably be
2: the better for
1: it. Yes. Yes. I was just going to say sometimes letting them go is what gives them that push for them to do that. Right.
2: You can't deny other people the chance to find their own progress and to make their own And you can't be
1: responsible for it for them. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: You can yeah, yeah. you can only be responsible right. yeah. for your own mm-hmm. journey and your own progress.
0: I fully so support you in that. Thank you. Me too. You you both did along the way. So I'm not gonna really answer this question, but what I what was just brought <laughs> up Wait how it but what was brought up about you can only be in control of you, I feel like that's what I'm now reveling in. It's what I'm trying to focus on because I usually focus on everybody else Mm -hmm. and what they're going through and putting myself in their own shoes, no matter how harmful or negative that could be to me and how I would carry that along the way. So I think that, again, and my father, if he listens to this, he's going to love this because he's always been Mariana. Everything is a balance. You have to own the balance in life. You always have to Make sure that the, the the glass is half full, one way this way, one way that way, the balance, keep it leveled, keep it even, mm. and now I get it because usually I focus on everybody else, their perception of me, what what's happening outside of me, and then I forget about me, and right. then I'm still on the fence going. Well, what will th- what will happen here? What will happen here? And I'm like, no shit, get off the fucking fence and stand up and decide what you need to decide. Yeah. So right. I think my thing is getting off from the fence and going to the other side, <laughs> going to your side. Yeah, of what's yeah. best for me, never harming anybody else because I'm not a serial killer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but
2: just get off the fence and go kill some people. Yeah, I mean that's what
0: <laughs> forget about the blue balls. Just like, just like just go and kill them. Come on. <laughs> tell everybody about them anyway.
2: <laughs> well, Anywho, I thought this whole fence section was riveting because it's basically Ayula asking Korede to like get off the fence, choose one or the other, you're either with me or you're against me. And we know from past conversations that Ayula has had with Tode that she manipulates facts to suit her needs. Mm-hmm. And Ayula mm-hmm. claims to Korede that she tried to stab Tode because he believed Korede might have killed Femi out of jealousy. Which fills Coraday with shame since she basically chose Toaday's welfare over Ayula's Mm. when she told Toaday that Ayula had killed before.
1: Right. And I thought,
2: I don't know if I believe that that's what really (laughs) Really happened.
1: I don't. Did
2: she? I don't think so. Did she attempt to stab Toaday to protect Coraday or was Ayula simply bored of him ready to move on the way she is sometimes and does she opportunistically take this moment and run with it to force Day to choose a
1: side which is really just Ayula's side
0: mm. yeah i have a hard time believing that she did that to protect corday it's all all this manipulation that ayula continues to create it's like manipulation to the extreme she basically is telling Day, we are in this together remember that cuz there's right. a quote that says when Cory is like I don't know it's his word against yours and Ayula's like against ours Cory right it's his right. word against ours right. you're responsible for me you're the big sister Salud. cheers <laughs> cheers so that's it's manipulation at its finest Interestingly, though, I think
2: Ayula has discovered that she doesn't necessarily need Corraday to continue murdering in order to oh, yeah, continue no. to keep murdering. Because when she kills Boyega, she, she doesn't, doesn't need, need Corraday's help at all. Except that she needs Corraday to keep her secret. but And she needs her moral support. Her immoral support.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Uh, She needs her sister to be like, you are on the right journey. This is your path, (laughs) which she gives her. Yeah, it's true. We have now the third time in this chunk that we've been discussing. We have the third chapter called Father, which Mm. I noticed was repeat this. She does repeat titles of chapters often, but Father was repeated the most in the book. It was actually used seven times. Wow. So I feel like wow. that's telling. Um, Significant. Hmm? Yeah, he screwed him up. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Anyone want to say anything about this chapter? <laughs> nah, whatever. <laughs> no, so
2: it's in this chapter where Auntie Taiwo, with her fabulous advice always, Auntie comes Taiwo. to take Ayula to the chief. And Koroday
1: steps in. And so wait, we're back in time. This is back when Ayula Oh 14. yes, Yes, we're back yes, in time. Yes, I'm
2: so sorry. Yeah. So this is after the chief has taken notice of Ayula and licks his lips and does Ugh. his little sweating or whatever and decides he's attracted to her. And so I guess at this point, Auntie Taiwo has come to the house to do their father's dirty work for him. And she's trying to take Ayula. Koroday puts her foot down, E, their mom is present even, and their mom sort of doesn't feel confident enough, I guess, to step in and say that this isn't right. Day, still a kid, steps in and says that she doesn't fear their father's retribution for their disobedience because she, quote, had already begun to develop plans in her head for Ayula's and her escape. And she basically chases Auntie Taiwo out of the house and doesn't let her take Ayula. Koroday chose her side of the fence then, and she chose Ayula's side. And she chose Ayula. She chose Mm -hmm. to protect Ayula. Mm -hmm. But then later in the chapter, when Ayula cries that their father will kill them over this, Koroday responds, not if we kill him first. And it was a huge question mark for me. I thought... Was Corday's quote, escape plan all along to murder her father? Or do you think she really meant that she had an escape plan, that they were going to leave their home until maybe the dad just pushed things too far? And also, I wondered, I mean, we know that their mom is in the room the whole time when all this is happening. Like, was she in on this, quote, unquote, escape plan, whatever it
0: was? What do you guys think? Did, did, did you guys have thoughts about this? Did this catch your eye? Totally. I I think Cordae had it planned the whole time. The murder. The murder.
1: Mm. I
0: think the pain was too much and she had to protect her doll, her sister, be responsible for her sister. Um, I don't think uh, Ayula was fully in on it, but she allows it to happen. Mm -hmm. I think the mother wasn't fully in on it, Mm. but she has gone through so much abuse has witnessed it all. She is not strong enough, as other females in the novel, to stand up against her husband. Mm -hmm. That's why she is basically in an induced ambient coma, sleep, while all of this happens. I mean, throughout the novel, there are hints that her mother knows or has been enabling them right it's almost like she knows parts of it but she keeps herself
2: ignorant to other parts exactly of it. you know ignorant what i mean is the perfect word yep it's almost but i feel like it's like a willful ignorance a little bit mm-hmm. like she sort of keeps herself in the dark so that she doesn't have to deal with things yeah
1: yeah, I did interpret this as Korda saying that the escape plan was to kill the dad, but I don't think mm. that she meant for it to happen when it did or in the way that it did.
0: Because mm.
1: <laughs> we know that I was totally wrong about the dad being drunk and falling and hitting his head. You both <laughs> called me out on that real fast.
0: Mariana, are you drinking a Corona I'm drinking a Miller High Life, the champagne of beer. She would never drink a Corona during COVID times. <laughs> oh, I gosh. have actually, which is really Wait, awful. I didn't
1: know you switched to beer. I'm obsessed with you.
0: Well, the thing is, during our potty break, listeners, I didn't have enough time to make another big sister, <laughs> you just and what I was didn't it. so I grapple as quick as so I could continue. She oh, sure did you. pick a side of the fence on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did what what my tongue wanted me to. <laughs> uh,
1: Snap Hey
0: now. Oh I'm sorry, I was so distracted by that. I don't even know what
1: I was saying. I was talking about oh oh speaking of drinking, you called me out on the fact that the dad was not drunk <laughs> and that it wasn't merely an accident. It's like you guys knew. But I now. I don't think <laughs> I, that didn't seem like a premeditated moment. It did seem like in the heat of the moment he was about to beat Ayula and then Corday decided that that was just the time it was going to happen. So I do mm. think that she was planning on that, but I don't think that it was going to be the way in which it, hap- it actually happened. Mm. Yeah.
2: I also want to make sure, because I feel like I, I in particular possibly have had a tone about this in all of the episodes we've recorded about this book, I feel like I've been very critical of their mom for for maybe not stepping in to help them as much as, you know, you might think a mom would or something like mm-hmm. that and I I don't I don't want to make it seem as if I think that women who are in situations of domestic violence mm. are weak if they don't necessarily right feel themselves capable of stepping in when those things happen. That is such a fucked up situation and oh, yeah. circumstance to be in. It's super complicated. Mm-hmm. So I totally under. Well, I can't say I totally understand because I've never been in the situation, but I definitely have empathy for the mom's position in this really difficult situation yeah. and with a lot of complexity.
0: Yeah, that's I good think you clarify. hit it right on the money where it's like there's a lot of complexity because we don't know exactly what happened right and we and, and I'm, i guess for my part there there's certain things that yeah may, i might be stereotyping because of the way i'm interpreting right how oyinka is writing this out for these characters but i there there is a part of me that sees their mother as like what you said brandy that she is or at least I feel that she is seeing everything that's happening around her, but it's not necessarily willing to step in or to participate because of the pain that she's dealing with. Right. And
2: the fear I, that comes And with the that. fear. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's also really easily it, it's also really easy to sit on the sidelines and say, Well, if I were in this situation, this is what totally, I would do that would never totally, fly. Right. But until you're in that situation, like you never you, don't you never know, what know. You never fucking know do no. or how you would react or behave so no. i just wanted to put that out there i do have yeah that's sympathy good. for the mom yeah that no that's story. great yeah.
1: no
0: judging here no judgments no judgments but there's always the truth right <laughs> what
1: <a> <laughs> or <laughs> what sometimes about we, we don't chapter? know
0: the truth true right uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. so uh in this chapter when she is playing and manipulating every simple, every single moment, we're talking about Cori Day here. Mm-hmm. She is faced mm-hmm. with talking mm-hmm. with the police, right after her sister stabbing, and whether or not who's at fault, uh, Yula or Tode. Like, was it self defense? Was it not? Was Tode right. after her? Who knows? But f- for some reason, again, this is my imagination running wild. Here I got a glimpse of how brilliant of an actress Cori Day is yeah. mm-hmm. because I could imagine us actresses, her using her eye work, her behavior <laughs> as she reacts to every single beat. Uh, she's crafting the scene. Nothing left for the wandering eye. <laughs> and, and, and she goes on to admit that she's never been able to cry on cue hmm so why would she admit that that obviously means that she knows that she's manipulating the situation to benefit her mm-hmm. yeah so i get the feeling that she's been here before that she's been reliving moments of what of what has happened because she's like i've been never able to cry cry on cue so ladies she ain't no virgin and i <laughs> stick to my guns about she knows what she's doing.
2: <laughs> By now, for sure. I think, I mean, I think she's picked the side of the fence at this point. By the oh, time yeah. she's speaking to the police, she's oh, picked, yeah. she's picked her allegiance.
1: Oh yeah. Ayula.
2: Yeah. No Courtney. No, but she, she's no, Courtney Courtney chosen Ayula, yeah.
0: Oh, correct. Yes. Because absolutely. she's a good big sister. Sister. Haha. <laughs> Salud with my Miller highlights. <laughs> drink, that, drink that highlight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Guys, oh. I really love this cocktail. I'm sorry. I just didn't want to delay the rest of the. It's episode. okay. We won't tell Ricardo. Just hope he doesn't Please listen to Please don't because episode. I actually really enjoyed the, this <laughs> concoction. I really enjoyed this cocktail with the twist. It's yummy. Mm-hmm. So now we've reached
1: the point of the story where the police have now... Accused Today of being the guilty one in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he does only go to jail for a few months, which I think is not a lot of punishment considering. He and he's had his license revoked. He right? did have he his license yeah. revoked. Yeah. 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 Um, and Mohammed has also been fired. So now we have Tode and Mohammed. Who <sighs> Mohammed definitely is innocent. I I do yeah. say innocent for Tode with in a certain light because. He did stab her, but it was out of self-defense. So I'm right. yeah. not that mad about it. Right. So <laughs> we're now <laughs> at this moment where the women in the story are ruining these somewhat innocent men's lives. Mm. And I have to mention, it. this whole bit made me think about, do you remember in 2018, the scandal that happened at the New York City Ballet? Um, There were some texts that were shared between some male principal ballet dancers, and they were fired immediately from New York Mm -hmm. City Ballet. And there was this huge controversy. It was a huge scandal. Um, You guys can Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. And then it it furthered on. It continued into uh, 2019, 2020, because one of the gentlemen who was fired from the New York City Ballet for the scandal was then hired as one of the leads on West Side Story in Broadway. And there were right. boycotts about it. People were signing petitions to say that he shouldn't have gotten this job. It was a big thing. So I was thinking a lot about this, and I was having a lot of conversations with people about the situation because I do think it's pretty complicated. And I'm a little nervous, actually, to talk about this on the podcast because it is so controversial And Mm. I realize that it's a very complicated situation. And I'm not choosing sides. But I do think it was a little more... I think the men in this situation, I don't know that their treatment was necessarily fair or accurate based on the circumstances that I understand happened. I know this is like a super controversial thing to say. I don't condone in a professional situation especially but i don't condone ever men unwillingly sharing naked photos of their women i think that's not very classy but i know totally. that it happens and all the a, time it's an invasion of her privacy absolutely 100%. yes however there is a part of me that says well the women shared the photos willingly knew that the men had the photos
0: do we know if they shared them willingly
1: yeah in two of the guys it was their girlfriends and they had sent them photos and in one of the cases the men one of the man's girlfriends did speak up and she said i don't think it was right But I don't think that he deserves this because I did send him this photo. I did know that he had it. He should never have shared it. But I don't think he should be fired because I wasn't completely it wasn't like he took a photo of her while she was sleeping without her
2: knowing. That's
1: a whole nother thing. So I don't know. I I saw a lot of parallels in this, you know, where I do think that men are held. I'm so nervous to say this. (laughs) I am such a huge proponent of the me too movement and i think it is majorly important and a conversation it's something that should have happened a long time ago and we still have a long ways to go with this and i do always say the woman is always right i always believe the woman but i do think that we've gotten very complicated in how we're dealing with the men in the situation and we're very quick to jump to blame and uh, trashing them when i don't know that it's necessarily always the case well i think it also
2: comes to a question of like at what point have they been punished enough you know what i mean because i don't all of these situations are not the same harvey weinstein is not in the same boat as not you know all. Aziz Ansari sorry with what happened to him and that's not the same as what happened with these ballet dancers these right. are all so gray right But because of the place that we're in right now, it's almost as if they're all treated as the same level of badness. And I think, unfortunately for guys, sorry, y'all, you've had it easy for a long time Mm -hmm. and you've gotten away with shit for a long time. And now people are so pissed that we're like, you know what? We got to just we just got to say unilaterally, this is not fucking okay, And you need to be so scared That something horrible is going to befall you if you do
1: something like this to a woman. You need to be afraid for your livelihood. My question about all this is: uh, Let's not pretend that women are totally innocent in this either. You know, absolutely. Women are sent nude photos of of men, boyfriend or not, and I'm sure women share that share those photos among themselves. If the roles had been reversed, if at New York City Ballet the women had shared the nude photos of their men, would they have been fired? Right.
0: But if they would have gotten fired, would they have been able to get another position where there were a lot of other actors qualified, more qualified? And because he was, he's a man, I think he was able to then do that. And people were fine with it because they were like, oh, my God, you're fine. You're innocent, whatever. We don't know the story, but I don't think that a woman's journey would have been the same. But that's so funny because I think that actually women get away with a lot more.
1: Oh, interesting. I think women wouldn't have had the same harsh treatment as the men would. Hmm. I think women could do something shitty, but then they'll be given a new start sooner than a man would.
0: I don't know about that. But
1: what do you think is behind that? This whole notion that women are like the... <laughs> see, I'm going to say dominant sex, but... The purer sex? Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I mean, even this book, like we're talking about a female serial killer. I don't know what the percentage is, but it is staggering. There are way more fucking male serial killers than there are female serial killers. It's like an absurd number more. And the same is true with pedophiles. Like there are way more male pedophiles. You know what I mean? So
1: wars are all started by men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I do think that women kind of get away with a lot of other things because they're still even though we are completely lower on the totem pole and treated so unequally, I do still think that we have something that like lets us off the hook because of like a sexual appeal or, um, you know. Honestly, actually, now that I'm saying this statement, I think that this is a way in which we are treated unequally for men, kind of like how we get paid less than men. I think it's another example of being unequal is that we get a less harsher punishment because we are women. Does that make sense? Sort of. To me, I see it as sort of payback for all of the bullshit,
2: though. You know what I mean? Like- 100%.
0: That's why I have a really hard time dealing with that he got this starring role on Broadway after doing what he did, no matter who was at fault.
2: But in his defense, it's not like he was flaunting. I don't think it was like, I don't think he was putting out press releases saying like, look what I did and yet I still got this starring role. You know what I mean? I do think as a society, we need to examine a little bit like how where where is the line in these punishments like i know louis ck recently started getting back into stand up comedy and people were flipping out mm-hmm. over that and it's like well i'm 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 personally not sure how i feel about louis ck coming back to comedy right. but but like where is the line for these people once they have paid their debt to society mm-hmm. once they've faced whatever charges are coming to them like where is the line where we say okay you've learned your lesson, like now you get to try again, and you get to try to be a better person now.
0: Totally. And I have a hard time finding where the line is, because also this is Mm -hmm. what we're reading through the media, what we hear, it's hearsay. Mm -hmm. So we're not necessarily hearing all the facts. And I would be curious to know, because I, I, and I'm admitting I haven't read like from the female's perspective who was involved in this case, like how she felt about that because it's still a very vulnerable state to be in. Right. It's her body. He's showing pictures to other people in the company, something that should have been done. Why it accelerated the way that this, this, this it did. We don't know. I just, I have a hard time dealing with the notion that you're fired from one company and then you're a star and then you have all these fans like going Google Gaga over you and you're not you might not be as deserving for that role but because of the publicity that's behind all of it then the theater is making more money off of you because you're known for not necessarily your talents but you're known because of a scandal.
2: I mean, and I think that's one of the things that's that was higher, so interesting about Aziz, the thing that happened with Aziz Ansari—because yeah. you did get a very detailed insight into the woman's what perspective happened, yeah. right, in that situation. And I found that to be one of the most polarizing conversations when Completely. it happened. People yeah. were so—it was so polarizing. You were on one side, or you were on the other. You on the saw other it one side. way, or you saw it yeah. the other way. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it was just complicated as fuck. It's That's hard fuck. not to see it a little bit from both sides and say, like, this is just a shitty, complicated thing that as a society
1: we need to, like, wade through and figure out.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. But I do
1: think it's good to have the conversations to weed this stuff out the instead of just way. saying it's black or it's white because it's not. Right. Right.
0: It is not at all. So thank you for bringing right. that up, Emma. Anyway. So we get to the end. Woo-hoo.
2: Number
1: five.
2: Number five. Number five.
0: So there was a quote in there that I want to definitely like share with you guys and see your feelings about what Coridae was thinking at the moment and who she's referencing. She says, I glimpse the evanescent. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I glimpse glimpse the evanescent shadow of the woman. And for a moment, it feels as though she watches me from a vantage point that I cannot see. Mm. Who do you guys think this woman is? Or was it supposed to symbolize someone? I'm dying for your thoughts right now. You're dying. And just to be clear, this is the
2: woman in the painting that she referenced earlier. Earlier. The painting of their house.
0: Correct.
2: So I kind of thought that this might be a shadow of who Coridae could have been if she hadn't been subtly murdered by her family. She Mm. remarks earlier in the book that there's a little dog in the painting, a dog Mm. that looks just like one they used to have. And that I think their dad killed. But a Mm. dog that she said the artist couldn't have known about. It's weird this dog Mm -hmm. is in the painting. She remarks on how white the house looks in the painting versus how yellow it is now in reality. Yeah. I think this painting is sort of a symbol of the ideal of what life could have been. Could have been. Mm. Their little pup would be alive. Their house wouldn't be yellowed and dirtied. And Corday's true inner self wouldn't be so elusive to her. She wouldn't just be a shadow
1: of Ayula. I like that theory more than mine. <laughs> that, that makes a lot more sense. I was actually also thinking it was Corday, but yeah. more from a symbolic point of view of Corday will always be stuck in this house, and oh. she will just always be stuck in this <sighs> cycle. Like she's oh. never gonna have her own life. She oh. serves Ayula.
2: That kills me. That does. It's sad. It's super sad.
0: And added to that, I I also thought it was Cordae and it was this looming image of herself of what she could have been. And also that like it's someone that will continuously watch over her if she keeps on going down those stairs, that Mm. staircase, and looking at that painting and being like, this is me. You've seen what I've done. You see what I continue to do. Mm -hmm. And there we go. Well, Mariana, I have to know. You
2: hinted at it. I have to know what your theory is.
0: Yeah. I Love mean, and after apple, talking girl. and after and after talking about well, after our full-on conversation, uh, it's okay.
1: Uh oh, are you out with the it? second guessing? The, the,
0: number five, uh, the number five, the number five, the number the fifth victim. I think it's Mutar. I think Mutar showed up to their house. Hmm. I think the reason being is that huh. at the end, it says this male figure smiles at Corday and she smiles back.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm bringing it back to the quote that we said initially that the parents smiling at their children and, and it's like basically a subtle murder. Who knows if this is going to be a full on murder, but to the whole idea, there were all these contracts, there were all these agreements. They had a very close relationship it was a tremendous loss when when Corde was like, he's no longer in my life. Mm-hmm. Mutar was abandoned by from his family, even if he chose it or he didn't. There was this connection where he knows this full-on story. He comes to their doorstep, meets Ayula, and it's like, Well, Corde, I know everything you did. Ayula, you don't know me. You're gonna pr- Coride, you're gonna protect me. We're going to figure this thing out. I know that if Eula gets tired of me, I get murdered. My life hasn't been all that great. So she can murder me and we're done with it. <laughs> or there is a kingsmanship here. So I'm going to basically marry your sister. You're going to be there to protect both of us. And we go from there.
1: I had a feeling that you were actually going to propose this theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and there are a lot there is a lot to back that up actually and it would be interesting. But the only thing that makes me think that it's not Mutar is because of that thing you just quoted where it says he smiled and I smiled back.
0: And mm-hmm. I think
1: if Corday saw Mutar show up at her door, she wouldn't smile, she would be horrified. Because I don't think that she would want him to be the next victim. I also noted that Korade
2: says she wasn't dressed for a visitor. She's like, I was only wearing a boo-boo, whatever. I didn't get to look up what a boo-boo is. But, like, whoever this visitor is, they weren't expecting him.
0: Oh, of course. And
2: she's just burned Mutar's phone number, sort of alluding to the fact that she's never going to call him. As Whatever their connection was is sort of gone now. And it seemed to me that this was a final moment where she's just saying she's accepting Ayula's point of view that all men are just looking for a pretty face and sort of deserve what they get. And she's just now along for the
0: ride. My thing is that it wasn't premeditated, but she sees Mutar there and it's like, I smile back at you and you smile back at him, me. And there's this undenying, like unspoken language that they already have. Mm. That it's a sil- it's a subtle murder that we're going to keep the secret a secret. We're gonna dim our lights and we're gonna go along for the ride, whether or not Ayula ends up killing me or not. But that's not the case because I'm willing to do this and I'm really to stick around to see what happens. Or I'm done with my family and I'm coming into your life because I feel like I might be the next victim, but I'm I, I already lived a life. So I'm just gonna go for it. Hmm. Listeners.
1: What do you think? Weigh in. Is number five Mutar? Who is he? Let us know.
0: <laughs> so should we play a game? Let's Ooh, play yeah. A game. Okay, so during the last like few minutes that we have with you guys and with the sisters, uh, yeah, ladies, out of all the characters in this thriller, who would you quarantine with? <gasps> who would you fuck? And who would you? K- hell yes! this Done. like Mary done. fuck Hill, but
1: quarantine fucker Hill. quarantine fuck Hill. <laughs> yes i <I'm> obsessed <laughs> Emma you go oh this is so fun okay 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 easy I got it <laughs> yeah. I would quarantine with Day because oh. she's super clean and she could bake oh. for us I would have a very clean apartment and a lot of cakes nice Got it. I would fuck Ayula,
2: yeah, because she freaky. Mm -hmm. Uh.
1: And I would kill Auntie Taiwo. Yeah, girl. Bam. Mine's very
2: similar. I also would fuck Ayula and just pray she didn't kill me. Like (laughs) right after, I would pray she didn't praying mantis me. You know. (laughs) <laughs> I would definitely kill Auntie Taiwo because I can't stand her. Oh, really? But I would quarantine actually with Mutar because I feel like we'd have great conversation. You know what I mean? He just seemed so like philosophical, and yeah. I feel like I would learn a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going along with those lines with both of you because I would quarantine with Mutar. Yeah. Because I just think we would get along and we would have like this companionship that I'm like yeah. I need you right now. I can't talk to anybody else. You'll listen. Right. Even if you're conscious or not, you'll no, listen. Right. <laughs> he's a good listener. He's not comatose mutar, Mariana. He's awake now. <laughs> okay, okay. But he's still a good listener and we'll have good conversation. I would actually fuck Today. He's good looking. If If I'm just fucking him, he's good looking. He's got that smile. And then he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And I would kill the father. Mm. I would re-kill the father. Re-kill him. (laughs) Re-kill him. It's what sparked all of this. And I would be like, fuck you. You fucking abused my sister, my mom. (laughs) You're done. So you're done.
1: Maybe Mariana is the
0: serial killer.
1: Oh. Uh,
2: After all. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us for this <laughs> round of Quarantine, Fuck, Kill. Yeah. We
1: should do this with every book. I love this game. I know so we definitely. Should.
2: I'm down for that. All right, you guys. Thank you all so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for
0: our music. Drop us a review. Will ya? Yeah. Will ya? Well, because we know you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) So so come on, tell us what you think. You know, either whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, you know what? We'll give you a shout out in one of our upcoming episodes. How about that? How about them apples? Uh, so, review, shout out. I like that.
1: And a very exciting announcement. <gasps> we have our next book pick. Yeah. yeah. For the spooky month of October, we're going to be reading the New York Times bestseller horror novel, Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Ah,
0: uh, I can <laughs> And also by Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes. Oh,
1: Yes. For our first episode with this book, we will be reading up to the end of chapter seven. Keep checking in on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk for the cocktail pairing, so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's it always, always always happy hour, happy hour, happy hour. hour. here. Woo woo woo! Bye, serial killers. Bye.
0: Love you.